Hello everyone, welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Sanders Brown Centre on Aging's Mind Matters podcast series. Sitting with me today for this episode is a gentleman who is going to describe to us in as much detail as we can stand, uh, neuroimaging. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you, audience, to Dr. Ahmed Barani. He is going to uh, give us a brief, some history about himself, uh, some of his education, and then we're going to talk a little bit about his work. So, Dr. Barani, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, James. Uh, please, uh, if you would, introduce yourself to our listeners, perhaps a little bit of your life history, uh, and then move into your educational background. Uh, sure. Thank you, James, for the introduction. So, uh, as uh, uh, you mentioned, my name is Ahmed Bahrani. I came from Iraq. I finished my, uh, I'm a biomedical engineer. I finished my master and bachelor degrees from Iraq University of Nehrin. And I came to the U.S. 20, uh, uh 2012 to finish my PhD in here in biomedical engineering. So I've uh, doing uh, my uh, uh, PhD on the College of Engineering, uh, biophotonics lab. I, I graduated uh, uh, 2020 uh, with the uh, mix uh, uh, projects, biophotonics and MRI, but the main focus was uh, aging in brain, Alzheimer and dementia. And that kind of, as we were discussing before, uh, the aging brain, Alzheimer's and dementia kind of really piqued your interest, your early interest in, in this particular field. Can you tell us a little bit about your work before you moved, your undergraduate work before you moved uh, to the United States, which kind of gave you this impetus, this start, this desire to want to look at the aging brain? So uh, my, my work uh, during master and bachelor degree is kind of, let's say, general, but master was focusing on biophotonics and how to study the concept of uh, oxygenation in tissue. So it was uh, a breast cancer at that time. But the things that made me uh, more focus on brain and love working on brain. So uh, my dad before passed away, he had some issues. Uh, so he had some in angina and something related to the brain like uh, 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 small strokes and he asked me to keep working on this field. So that gave me a, a push to keep working on that, helping people, and uh, develop myself to help other people in this field. So for you then, this, this truly is a work of heart. You're honoring your family's memory. That, that is quite beautiful, thank yes. you. Uh, could we move on to talk just a little bit about some commonly used uh, brain imaging techniques in research? M most people, of course, will be familiar with MRI, and we'll move on to that in just a moment. But if you would, could you also describe some of the other techniques that are used uh, both here in the center and kind of in general in uh, the aging population? Okay, so in general, we have multimodality. So before I... Uh came here, I was working for Philips Medical Systems on the imaging part and ECG. So I learned from there and through my study there are many modalities. So the commonly used now popular is MRI and there is PET and PET. Uh, so both of them nuclear uh, for, uh, um, radiation medicine, isotopes. And then we have CT scan and there are another, so this is kind of imaging. But there's another uh, imaging called uh, Doppler ultrasound that used for brain. This is limited for small areas in the brain because that cannot access the brain from different uh, uh, 
due to the scalp issue, uh, I mean the scalp uh, boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, there are uh, another techniques like EEG. It's used not for imaging, for study the, uh, the wave of a brain. And we used, during my PhD, we used uh, neuroinfrared to study or to quantify blood flow, cerebral blood flow and cerebral oxygenation. So there are many modalities. But why we are focusing more on the MRI? MRI is considered one of the uh, safest, te uh, safest technique for imaging, high resolution, popular, and uh, that has a lot of modality sequences to study different uh, concepts or or a function in the brain compared to other modalities. Uh, CT scan has some issues with that. People are afraid from the X-ray, and th that's some disadvantage of that. Nuclear medicine, the same thing, has low resolution. Also, at the end, it depends on either CT scan or MRI. But in general, the MRI is most uh, popular and easy to use to handle by the searcher and with a huge amount of sequences, image sequences. And also, too, I understand um, from a functional perspective, a lot safer uh, to be exposed to scanning in an MRI machine for a prolonged or more prolonged period of time than perhaps uh, an X-ray. So it's a lot, a lot less disruptive, a lot less uh, energy being bombarded upon you. Yes, that, that's true. Yeah. But uh, so the MRI, uh, maybe people a little bit... Uh, have some fear about uh, claustrophobia mm -hmm. when they uh, go inside the MRI. Uh, this is just related to uh, breathing. So if people cannot, can't control their breathing inside the MRI, that will not happen. Uh, there's this little bit disadvantage of MRI is the motion of people. So we always ask people to be calm inside the MRI, stable, and during the, uh, the uh, scan sequence, so most of the sequences are between 30 to 40 minutes, uh, that the maximum that we can go inside the MRI to get uh, good uh, images or resolution. And that's very good for people, especially for longitudinal studies. I mean, even if they are healthy, they can keep tracking the changes in their brain, then they can keep it healthy based on I can't say I don't want to go to the medicine directly, but using the healthy activities, exercising, healthy food, avoid uh, pollution or any, anything that affect the brain. So this is good if, if it's possible for them to keep doing uh, or getting MRI annually. So the MRI then is not necessarily a diagnostic tool per se, specifically for looking at changes in the aging brain. It's also a functional manner in which neuroimagers can see if there are any potential red flags in the patient's future. So it, it really is a, uh, a double-edged foil. It really is useful, not only for diagnosis, but also for in a predictive sense. Correct. That, that's right. You explained a little bit about... Um, the, the scan process lasting 40 minutes, uh, uh, up to 40 minutes, and that the importance for the patient is to keep as calm as possible and to control their breathing. Could you give us perhaps just a few more hints and tips about how a participant could uh, maintain a state of relaxation undergoing a scan? Is there anything specific they should and shouldn't wear? Is there anything that they should be aware of when coming into the scan? They should let you know about uh, any implants, pacemakers, obviously. Uh, and I'm assuming, of course, you would go through every single safety factor beforehand. But just perhaps if you could maybe spend 30 seconds or so on just some hints 
and tips and tricks for participants for them to be able to feel confident and safe while they are in the machine? Sure. So the basic concept of safety for MRI measurement is uh, the person or the patient or the subject shouldn't have any metals. Uh, pacemakers, as you mentioned, there are many uh, uh, recent uh, uh, artificial tooth, uh, uh, prosthetic or other uh, uh, um, uh, planted materials. So this is the very first concept for that. Then, uh, so, uh, so the technician asks the patient or the person who come to the MRI uh, should be uh, uh, check his pocket, everything in his uh, 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 claws or hair, no metals at all. They will double check that, but this is one of the concepts that shouldn't be interfered with the imaging. There are two things in there. So the first uh, thing, if the metals exist in the MRI, it will be kind of dangerous because it will jump from the patient to the MRI magnet because we're talking about magnet, uh, uh, magnetic field. And the magnetic field is a huge, three Tesla, for example, the, what we are using now in the MRI C. The other thing, sometimes, if there is even some uh, 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 metals, even if it's not magnetic, especially in the brain, that generate electrical field around it and make distortion to the image. So that the other, th uh, the second reason that we why why we won't try to avoid the metals inside the uh, MRI gantry. So this is in terms of metals. So uh, the other thing that we ask always the patient to calm down, relax in the MRI machine. We gave uh, the. Uh, 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 patient or participant, let's say, uh, uh, likes to reduce the noise that uh, generated during the gantry. Uh, we give the uh, uh, participant also some uh, uh, blank that to keep him warm during the MRI. We ask the participant if he needs that or not. Some, some of them, they don't need uh, to do that. But the most important thing, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we ask the patient to calm down, to relax to, uh, during the scan to avoid motion artifact because that caused distortion to the image. How to do that? So sometimes we ask people to close their eyes if, if it's not required because some sequences, maybe we ask people to open their eyes for functional MRI, for example. But sometimes if they feel uh, uh, need to more relax, they can uh, uh, close their eyes in the MRI. Sometimes people like to see uh, the surrounding. So during uh, uh, inside the uh, MRI machine, there's a mirror that can the participant look at the mirror to see outside the gantry just to uh, avoid any uh, claustrophobia uh, or, or uh, anything like that. For me, I think it's most important controlling the breath. Taking mm. breath correctly and exhale and inhale, that makes the oxygen come to your body and don't uh, don't feel you are in the claws or, or I mean uh, very small or narrow area that apply pressure on you because it's everything uh, that in, in terms of size is suitable for big person to be inside the MRI uh, gantry to do the scans but using these tips help a lot to make calm down relax inside the uh, MRI and be helpful for both of you and the researcher to get good quality imaging. Wonderful. Thank you very much for the hints and tips. Very helpful. Can we talk um, a little on the importance of imaging in relation to our clinical trials? Uh, we specifically focus on um, 
a diagnosis of Alzheimer's post-mortem. However, um, when we are sitting in clinical consensus outside of that environment, as we mentioned, there are also uh, useful applications for MRI imaging beyond formal diagnosis upon a patient's death. Could you talk a little bit about uh, how important it is uh, for imaging to be concurrent with other modalities of testing during a clinical trial? So, first of all, I, I want to thank and really appreciate all the participants and volunteers they uh, participate in our studies in here on everywhere. That would be helpful for the science and for uh, humanity to find the uh, uh, cause and effect for these kind of diseases. Uh, so it's important, as I mentioned, it's important for people during the studies, because in the past, people doing only cross-sectional analysis to diagnose just uh, based on a referral from a physician. We need to check what's going on in the brain. So there are many things happen uh, inside the brain, uh, or to the brain, I mean, like uh, a change in the size, uh, ventricle uh, 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 size also change, uh, so all, all of these things. There are microbleeds, there are uh, many things related to the microvascular changes, uh, uh, so we can say some, uh, I don't want to use uh, ter uh, terms that use for uh, research, I want to use general terms like, for example, there's some accumulation in fluid in the brain that cannot return back to the vascular that cause something called white matter hyperintensity. So this has consequence on the future on the uh, uh, brain health that we need to see that. But the most important thing, as I mentioned, we need to track that to see from time zero, let's say. I mean, when time zero, when the subject or participant come to the uh, uh, research center, and then until two, three, four, five years until uh, we, uh, we uh, move to the post-mortem study in that case, to see how the brain changed during that time. And this cannot done only by MRI images to uh, judge what happened to the brain. There are in parallel another modality that we have to use with that. For example, cognitive, cognitive test, there's a, 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 a CSF, cerebral, uh, spinal fluid test that use uh, amyloid, uh, beta amyloid, another uh, uh, kind of biological test that we need to use with that beside the, uh, beside the MRI images. Sometimes we need to use better scan to see the aggregation of the beta amyloid and, and, and tissue. Sometimes we need, as I mentioned at the beginning, we use the, EC, uh, the EEG, the electroencephalography, to uh, uh, collect the uh, spectrum from brain and compare it with the images. If there's some uh, 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 impairment in function, that we need to see what happened at that region, what happened that impairment in terms of imaging. So the imaging is very uh, uh, important part to be integrated with other uh, testing modalities. And as we see, uh, as we've discussed then, uh, having functional data from clinical trials allied to imaging, mm -hmm. brain imaging at the time at which those clinical trials were done helps us develop future treatments. Correct. Leads me to kind of our summary question. Um, any uh, wish list for you? What would be the most amazing thing that could come of your work in imaging? A, f a future study, if you were given the opportunity to do 
to take MRI imagery anywhere, where would that be for you? So as I mentioned, I like to study the brain and the things that made me more interesting in the brain that I, uh, with Dr. Jaika, uh, generated a new biomarker for tracking white matter hypertensity longitudinally. And this is considered one of the, maybe we can say one of the first projects that done uh, uh, ever. And we uh, use this project uh, uh, actually uh, this is within my VCID consortium and is tested by several universities. So this project made me very interesting and, and uh, encouraging myself and others to keep working to find a new imaging biomarker that can be used for intervention to help physicians in testing the uh, medicine and uh, on the patient to, uh, for, for Alzheimer or dementia. So in the future, I want to do more uh, biomarkers like that. This is number one. Number two, I want to make the transition. So most of the clinical studies, we cannot say clinical studies, or most of the studies that uh, or research done in the uh, Alzheimer and dementia start with animals. And most of them, they stopped at that point. They cannot move that to uh, a human because there are many difficulties related to the uh, uh, animal's brain that easy to handle, to uh, uh, model, or whatever they can do for that, but it's not, cannot be doable for a human. So I want to make a transition, imaging projects, so transition the uh, uh, studies from animals to human that can be can, uh, uh, creating a new biomarker diagnosis for aging population. I mean, Alzheimer and dementia in, uh, in, uh, based on uh, animal studies. So it's clear from just discussing with you that this is truly a work of heart for you and your future lies in creating a set of paradigms, testing paradigms, which benefit all of humanity, not only just our participants here uh, at Sanders Brown. Uh, as Dr. Barani mentioned, we are truly grateful for everyone who comes and joins with us our partners in research. And with that, uh, I would like to extend my gratitude. Thank you for sitting with me. Okay. And that concludes uh, this week's podcast. Thank you very much.